You have arrived. I had a new roof put on my house about two weeks ago. Uh, after that windstorm we had a little while ago, tore off a bunch of shingles and I couldn't put it off any longer. So today it's uh, 33 degrees outside and uh, the sun is heating up the shingles and the tar paper beneath Oh, my entire house and the whole neighborhood. Smells like a construction zone. And then, oh, and then yesterday, the two uh, Bull Terriers uh, went at each other, and the older one had to go into the uh, emergency ward $257 later. Anyway, so it's been a bad, bad, bad. Are, are you going to take that 250 bucks out of the little one's allowance? Well, yeah. The little one has been grounded, and... Uh, no more iPad. No more iPad for the next week. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Van 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Bringing the galaxy far, far away, closer to home. A spoiler-free review of Solo, A Star Wars Story. We'll also tell you which villain from the movie franchise is about to get his own flick. And we say Godspeed to a real-life hero of the space race of the 1960s and 70s. Weezer does Rosanna, and Rick Rowling takes a new turn thanks to Auto-Tune. Oh, God, you gotta hear this. Uh, plus an episode of The Big Show. Oh, we have a sponsor. It's brought to you by Dickies. What? Yes, a sponsor. Who? Believe it or not. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So I walked into the Little Ones Elementary School at 1145, just as lunch was uh, letting out. And I went to the office and signed my daughter out for the afternoon to go see Solo, a Star Wars story. And under the, why are you signing your child out column, I entered Star Wars. <laughs> What did they say? Absolutely nothing. I'm the parent. Well, what, what can they say? Exactly. I'm sorry. I am taking my daughter out for a cultural afternoon. <laughs> it just happens to be the culture of, of the Galactic Empire. So, great. So, uh, so it was daddy and daughter and how many other people in the theater? It, it, surprisingly, in the middle of the day, on opening day, we went to see it in the 4DX studio, where the chair moves around. Whenever it rains, you get wet. And whenever a laser blast goes whipping past, um, it uh, zaps you in the back of the head. And it wasn't as packed as I thought it was. This, this, this sounds like a CIA detention center. Yeah, exactly. The only thing missing is the waterboarding. Funnily enough, the woman beside me me high as fuck oh you think and every time the chair moved every time it rained every time a laser blast went whipping past her head she bust out into a huge giggle fest <laughs> and, and, and i had to make the decision am i going to be annoyed by this or am i just going to accept that this woman is experiencing star wars in a manner that probably is best suited to her considering it looks like her comic book boy boyfriend dragged her along. Oh, listen, you are already getting wet. You're already getting tossed around. You're already getting laser blasts 
you know, past your ears. Why not just embrace that as another aspect of the film? So like Betty or Veronica or Ginger or Marianne back in the 70s and early 80s, you were one or the other. You were either a Luke or a Han fan. Now, I know you were into Star Trek, so none of this appeals to you. So I, I guess you never made that conscious decision. Well, no, I, w- I did. I did. Uh, there was a girl in university that I was really, really, really trying to uh, woo. And um, one day she suggested that we go, and this is before the days of multiplexes. One day she suggested that we go to the Metropolitan Theater in Winnipeg and we watch a continuous triple bill of the middle part of the trilogy. And by the end of The Empire Strikes Back, I was, I I thought that Luke was the biggest wimp in the galaxy. (laughs) I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Well, come on, Red, let's go. This R2 unit has a bad motivator, look. It just isn't fair. Oh, Bix is right. I'm never going to get out of here. From that point on, I had no use for for Mark Hamill. I had no use for Luke Skywalker. I was firmly on the side of, of Han Solo. All right. You know, it's funny, maybe because you were older than me by about a decade that you went straight to the Han. I think kids my age in 77 and so sort of jumped from Luke to Han Solo as they got a little bit older. So when Solo, a Star Wars story came out, or at least we knew it was coming, I really wanted to learn about that smuggler's origin story. So I've got five things we learned from Solo, a Star Wars story that is completely spoiler free. It will not ruin the movie for you whatsoever. It was just five things that tickled me that I always wanted to know about that scruffy-looking nerf herder. Okay. We learn how Han Solo got the surname Solo in the first place. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Did... did is that a spoiler if I ask why or how? Well, no, not really, because uh, we meet Han on Corellia, which is the planet that is completely dedicated to making spacecraft, specifically, among others, the spacecraft that is the YT-1300F, the light freighter, also known as the Millennium Falcon. Okay. So he, he's just a street kid. He's a street urchin, and, and they call them scum rats. So is his girlfriend, by the way. Did you know Han Solo had a girlfriend? No, did not. Uh, We figure he has a girl in every port, but at this point when he's about 19, which is what we figure the age is for this particular film, um, Amelia Clark is his girlfriend, you know, from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, okay. So I assume, my lord, you're here to bend the knee. I am not. No. Well, that is unfortunate. There's a whole subplot associated with that. But we only, in the Star Wars canon, know of two times that Han Solo ever had a girlfriend. One of them was the Amelia Clark character. And another one was a deleted scene from the 1977 Cantina scene, where as Luke and Obi-Wan walk towards Han Solo, he dismisses his girlfriend. All right. So let's get back to the beginning. Why is he called Han Solo? Because he was just a street urchin. He didn't know who his parents were. He didn't have a last name. Really? No, but the, the, the thing is, and this is where the spoiler comes in, and I won't spoil it, is what was more interesting was how he ends up getting the last name Solo. Okay, fine. Move on. Point number two. Lando Calrissian was the only character to mispronounce Han as Han. Everyone else in the film called him Han, and you know you're not a Star Wars fan if you're pronouncing it Han Solo. Princess, we'll find Han. I promise. So I suppose the question becomes, did nobody pull Billy D. Williams aside at any point and say, oh, by the way, it's Han, not Han? Or was he just being cool? 
Well, we find out in this film, Solo, A Star Wars Story, why he calls him Han when everyone else calls him Han, which is clearly just a, a, a continuity error that they ended up fixing 40 years later. Interesting. Okay, point three. Han won the Millennium Falcon against Lando Calrissian in a game called Sabacc. Now, I'm sure you don't know anything about Sabacc, but just think Uno with the edges of the cards clipped off. Okay, that means absolutely nothing to me. You never played Uno as a kid? No. You didn't have a cottage experience where you're no. playing Uno? Oh, wow, that's crazy. I was outside playing in the in, in the mud. In, in the mud, in Winterpeg. Yeah. Well, he claims that he won the Millennium Falcon fair and square in that game against Lando Calrissian, and we learn that in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> How you doing, you old pirate? So good to see you. I never thought I'd get to see you again. Well, he seems very friendly. Yes, very friendly. <laughs> What are you doing here? Ah, repairs. I thought you could help me out. What have you done to my ship? Your ship? Hey, remember, you lost her to me fair and square. And how you doing, Chewbacca? When the game of Sabacc comes up fairly early in the film, we're like, oh, all right, this is going to be it. And it takes a bit of a twist. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we find out how he wins it fair and square. We also learn about the Kessel Run. You're familiar with the Kessel Run. You've got to be familiar with the Kessel Run. Absolutely not. Even as a Star Trek fan, you've never heard of the Kessel Run? The Kessel Run, no. Okay, Um, so the thing about the Millennium Falcon was that Luke Skywalker, after paying all this money to to, uh, make the, the trip to Alderaan, finds the ship to be a piece of junk. On Solo, I'm captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. A parsec's a unit of distance, not time. Not time, yeah. So that's a problem. Hey, 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 girls. Anyone want to make the Kessel Run? That'd be cool, but we only got 12 parsecs. <laughs> Hop in. It's kind of like golf, you know? Lower numbers are better. And so the Kessel Run, we learn how he made it in less than 12 parsecs. We learn why he made it in the first place. And then the, the fifth thing is that we learn how Solo and the Wookiee met. Is, is that as soon as we learn his name is Chewbacca, the first thing Solo says is, yeah, I'm not calling you Chewbacca. But he was not the one to give him the nickname Chewie. Okay. So if you were a Star Wars kid in any way, shape, or form, you are going to love this film if you were looking for a bit of the backstory about Solo in the first place. I pretty much bailed after The Empire Strikes Back. So the first three films, so the middle part of the trilogy, I'm... I'm aware of, I'm acquainted with. So, and the movie I've seen the most is the first one from 77. Sure. So that means, based on what you're telling me, that I wouldn't be too far gone to see this film. Yeah, you probably didn't like Jedi. Most people of our generation did not like Jedi. You didn't see the prequels, which is fine, because you don't need to see the prequels for any purpose whatsoever Uh, and I think Empire was probably the best of the three of the original trilogy and in it at one point there's Boba Fett do you remember Boba Fett he's getting his own movie I understand According to the director of Logan, he's working on his own standalone movie for Boba Fett, too, which is weird because Boba Fett only had a, you know, a 
few lines here and there. Put Captain Solo in the cargo hold. Duh. Yeah, he's the most famous minor character in the history of cinema. Exactly. I've never really understood that. You're not much of a Star Wars fan, but I know you are a huge fan of space exploration generally. Yes. So it must have caught you to hear that the fourth person to walk on the moon died this past week at the age of 86. Ten, nine, eight, ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Zero. All engines running. Commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 11.22 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tucson reports that your program is in. Tower clear. We Alan Bean, he was uh, the lunar module pilot of Apollo 12. And uh, I remember Apollo 12 because it came quickly on the heels of Apollo 11. Yeah, like four months. Four months or even less, I think. Anyway, uh, I was, oh God, how old would I have been at the time? Seven years old? And I was so thrilled that there was an astronaut with my first name. And they spelled it the same way. So (laughs) even though he didn't have a lot of hair, I I thought Alan Bean was the coolest of all the astronauts. Now, you know, he saved the Apollo 12 mission. The Apollo 12 mission? Yes, that was the one on which he walked... Sorry, the Apollo, okay, the Apollo 12 mission was the one that was uh, struck by lightning, wasn't it? In the spacecraft, astronaut Alan Bean has no clue either. Lights pop on. The alarm system comes on. More lights than I'd ever seen ever in the simulator. I mean, there was main bus A, main bus B. I got three fuel cell lights, an AC bus light, a fuel cell disconnect, AC bus overload, one and two, main bus A and B. It's an electrical failure. The command module has lost main power. Emergency batteries take over, but they'll only last two hours. Mission Control is facing a launch abort, jettison the spacecraft, and blow up the Saturn V. I oddly remember that because I was watching, who was his name? Jules Vernon. He was the ABC commentator at the time, and he was the guy always down at the Cape. And he mentioned during the original live broadcast that the spacecraft had been struck by lightning, but there was very little... We didn't hear exactly how how serious that was until much later. The command they received was try SCE to aux, and the flight director, Jerry Griffin, didn't recognize the command, but relayed it up to the command module. And then the mission commander didn't understand what try SCE to aux meant either, but Bean did. He flipped the appropriate switch, reset, gave them the good telemetry data, and they continued their flight to orbit around the moon, which ultimately led to the landing on the moon. Yeah, you watch movies like Apollo 13, and you realize exactly how primitive those electronics and those computers were back then. I mean, you have, what is it, you know, 10,000, 1,000 times, a million times more power in your iPhone than they had um, on board those, those spacecraft to land it on the moon and come back. It's, it's, it's really crazy. 
And those switches were all standard analog switches. Of course, they, they had to be at the time. And there was a, a big thing about how much money NASA had spent creating a pen that could write upside down in space. And the joke was that the Russians just used pencils, and that's how they saved money. But the reason why NASA was going with pens as opposed to pencils was that when the graphite of a pencil would break off, you would end up getting it into the instruments, and it was a conductor, and it would zap the instruments. Yeah, I remember getting one for Christmas, 1969 or 1970, the upside-down astronaut writing pen. And I kept it, um, I took it to school, and I used it until it ran out of ink. <laughs> it, and, and protected your virginity the whole time. Well, yeah, let's just remember that I was seven. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I followed all the Apollo missions right up until Apollo 17, 1972. And then I remember crying hysterically to my mom when I realized that the Apollo missions were over and that 18 and 19 and 20 had been canceled or allegedly canceled. Of course, we all know that Apollo 18 actually went to the moon and found uh, alien structures on the dark side. But that's another story. What, now that Art Bell is dead, you're looking for his job? <laughs> Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You, too, can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. We have a sponsor for this week. I understand that. I'm unclear of this. What is a sponsor? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it harkens back to that time we had that big shot meeting where they were all very happy to bring us on board with their podcast stable. And uh, they told us that their big sponsor was going to net us 30 bucks an episode. Yeah, big deal. We're selling mattresses. What happens with the podcasting world when everybody has a pillow and a mattress? Exactly. So instead, we decided to go with Dickie's. Well, the pants. The pants, yes. We should point that out. Uh, yes, uh, I, I have, I'm not wearing mine right now, but I do have a, a two lovely pair of, of Dickies, which um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we, well, they look rather flattering. I'm very pleased with them. All right, so a little later on, we'll, we'll figure out whether or not uh, you like them and, and what you've been using them for. Uh, what am I going to wear them? What are you talking about what I'm going to use them for? What else would I use them for? <laughs> well, they're pretty heavy industrial pants. Well, they they are. And listen, they're very good. I'm going to tell you what they're going to be good for. Later on this year, when it gets a little bit cooler in the evening and I got to take the dog to the dog park, they are going to be fantastic because there are all these giant dogs that always jump on me. And uh, I've, I've got jeans that are ripped and, and shorts that are ripped now. These dickies are going to be completely impervious to that giant Irish wolfhound that uh, insists on pouncing on me. You know what my problem was, was I decided as we got towards the late spring, once finally winter released its icy grip on us, and I was going to put out all the outdoor furniture and, and get the house ready, and it was 24 degrees, it was going to be great. I put on my pair of Dickies, and I almost died of heat exhaustion. Uh, the these things are thick. These like I, I wouldn't be surprised if you could stop a rhinoceros with one of these. They pants... Of that thickness and durability have a place. I'm glad to have them because I require a certain amount of toughness, especially when I'm outside and with dogs. So um, there. Um, thank you, Dickies, for the pants. You're happy with them? Yeah. Yeah. I've got no problems. I Here's the one problem. Okay. They sent me a two pair yes. or two sets of two pairs. The first one. Um, <laughs> they sent you one leg. 
well, it might as well have been. They were a little on the snug side, so uh, I, I had to. Uh, it's not my fault, or not their fault either, because uh, I have very large thighs based on uh, all my working out. So uh, they wouldn't come up over the thighs. <laughs> Wait a minute. Your your thighs, it's because of the working out? Are you sure it isn't the cabbage rolls and no, coffee? No, I, I guarantee you. You ever see that James Bond movie with Famica Jansen, the, the woman that, uh, the, the Bond villain that can actually crack people in half with her thighs? That's me. That's an image I didn't need in my head. No, you didn't need it, but you brought it up. So there you go. Want to write for the big show? Go to geeksandbeats.com slash newsroom to learn about how you can be a part of the world's most popular podcast. Do it for the glory and the love of the game. If we paid you any less, you'd be paying us. Geeksandbeats.com. Skirting unpaid intern laws for over 75 years. A lot of different bands have been doing a lot of covers over the years, but I don't think I've found one quite like Weezer covering Rosanna. You know, I thought this was a joke. I went to listen to it, and I was actually really impressed. All I want to do when I wake up in the morning is see your eyes. Rosanna, Rosanna, I never thought that a girl like you could ever care for me.
Rivera was the drummer for for Toto. And if you go back to, you know, especially Toto 4, the album from which that song came, there is some really good musicianship on there. Really, really good. These guys were all super, super section men. And Jeff Becerra was one hell of a drummer. He, by the way, died in a bizarre gardening accident, which is absolutely true. Hey, he, hang on. You can't just leave it like no, that. No, okay, he did. Well, a bizarre gardening accident? Remember the spinal tap thing about somebody dying in a bizarre gardening accident? It's really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it. It's not unsolved, really. You know. And he was replaced by... Uh, Stumpy Joe. They may have got that from, from Jeff Pacaro. Actually, no, Jeff died later than that. So Spinal Tap was 82, this was 84. No, he uh, he was in his garden. He was working on something, and he had an uh, anaphylactic uh, reaction to some kind of fertilizer or something he was using, and he died as a oh, result. It wasn't like he stepped on a rake. No, 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 no. He, he had an anaphylactic reaction to some kind of, uh, of, of, of gardening chemical. So anyway, um, if you listen to the Weezer version, that drum figure is very, very hard to play. And uh, I don't know who's doing it. I guess he drums for Weezer, but they, they nail it. Um, but what I find fascinating is that Rivers Cuomo, who has a high voice to begin with, struggles to reach the high vo- uh, the high notes in the, in the song as, uh, as well as the guy in Toto did. Bob- Bobby Kimball, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember his name. But what's interesting about Toto is that the, they have become... They were a joke in terms of, you know, they were this manufactured corporate rock band who were super, super slick, super overproduced and all the rest of it. And they kind of fell out of favor after the middle 90s or middle 80s. But now people are going back and realizing the quality of the musicianship on a lot of their their albums and marveling at how good these guys were in an era before Pro Tools and an era before Autotune and an era before, you know, all those things. So I, I actually went out and purchased a Toto's Greatest Hits uh, from HD Tracks, the um, uh, the high quality, high res audio um, online store, and uh, and I'm listening to it on my my big stereo in the basement. And you know what? After years of dissing Toto, I uh, I recant. Mm. Yeah, Geeks and Beats listener Blair uh, tweeted that he doesn't think this is quite as controversial as me thinking Frankie goes to Hollywood's version of Born to Run surpassed the original. But he does say this is pretty darn tasty. It is. I and and you know Frankie, them doing Born to Run was done in the spirit of like poke somebody in the eye. Very very um, ironic. Now what actually happened here is that Weezer fans were trying to get. Uh, Weezer to cover Africa, which is another song from Toto 4, this, the same album. Rather than do that, they kind of trolled fans back and said, okay, we're not going to do Africa, but we are going to do Rosanna. You mentioned auto-tune. I, I've got a link for you. Are you ready for it? Oh, God, what? Here, check okay, this out. Hang on. Let's go and look. Uh, oh, no. Why, why am I going to hit the... Click it. Do click I- it. There are no strangers to love. <laughs> this is great. It's titled Never Gonna Hit Those Notes. Oh, okay. I have a friend in Singapore who thinks that Rick Astley is the greatest artist of the last 50 years. I'm sending that to him. Oh, man. That's just back to that isolated vocal track that we were talking about that Eric Elper led us on to in the previous week's episode. If you can get an ISO track, you can have a lot of fun with it. You sure can. Um, you know where they come from, right? These ISO tracks? Where? Uh, they come from games like uh, Rock Band and Guitar Hero. 
Oh, see, I would have thought that the music bed would have come from rock uh, band and Guitar Hero. When, when, when songs are licensed for those video games, what they have to do is actually separate them into the individual stems. And that includes the... The, the vocal um, track? The vocal track. So that's how a lot of those vocal tracks end up being out in the wild. They are stems from video games like Rock Band and Guitar Hero. But that's, that's why they that's why they started uh, popping up over the last, uh, I guess, 10 years or so. But popping up, I think, is the most appropriate way to describe it, because I can imagine the record label would just scream bloody murder if they knew who at Microsoft or who at Sony was responsible for leaking this. Yeah, I don't know how it works, but they somehow managed to strip out the individual stems. So uh, but listen, I'm grateful for it because there's an opportunity to hear some real artistry. There's one with David Bowie and Freddie Mercury doing uh, Under Pressure, and you get to hear exactly how the, the decisions each one of them make when it comes to breathing and phrasing and hitting notes and all the rest of it. It is a masterclass in singing. I love the fact that we have these isolated vocals. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Last chance to win a Google Home Max. <laughs> I have one on uh, my, I got it. Uh, it finally arrived. It finally arrived. It's on the counter. And uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but there is a, um, if you've seen it, but there's a Property Brothers TV commercial, okay, where they're the two guys are are, are going hey, Google and, and whatever, um, and my wife is always watching the channel where that commercial comes. I don't understand. Ah, <laughs> exactly. Which is why I had to bleep out your command. Yeah, yeah. Because not, so I took the one I had in the kitchen and I put it here in the studio just in case we ever need it. Oh yeah. So okay. Hey Google, what are the name of the Property Brothers? According to Wikipedia, Property Brothers is a Canadian reality television series produced by Cineflix and is the original show in the Property Brothers franchise. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. Okay. My, uh, my, so it kept going off while this commercial was on. And uh, my wife screamed at the Google Max, fuck you, Google. And uh, Google says, I'm sorry, I didn't understand, but I will take your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can win one of these, and the only way you can win one is to be a member of the world's worst intern program, and how you become a member is you go to our website, you click on the support the show link, and via Patreon, you support the show with a dollar per episode or more, and that translates into a, a single raffle ticket per dollar. But you could also be a co-producer, which not only gets you $25 worth of tickets, so 25 tickets into the digital bin, uh, but also you get your name on the album art, so you can print it off, frame it, and hang it in your mother's basement, uh, just like uh, Antoinette Van Dicken, Van Den Dickenberg did. Uh, she what is it with people who listen to the listen? People who listen to this show have long, complicated last names. Why is that? Have you noticed that? Well, our co-producers this week: Victor Biggio and Barrett Reese. Okay, that's not bad. But in the past, we've had a streak of people with very long, complicated last names. Not to make fun of them. No, I'm just pointing out that we are attracting a certain audience, a certain demo that uh, companies like uh, oh, Dickies might want to reach. Exactly, an affluent audience willing to shell out twenty five bucks an episode. Victor, thank you again for your support on the big show, and Barrett as well for your generosity. So each of you have twenty five tickets in the bin. Next week we give it away, so you get one more chance to join the world's worst intern program. 
program and support the big show. While I was at uh, the Artificial Intelligence Conference Impact AI last week in Ottawa, I'm waiting for my Uber and standing next to me is, as it turns out, a fan of the show. Oh, see, anecdotally, I run across more people who listen to this show than anything else I do. When they say, oh, I'm a big listener of the podcast, and I just assume that they listen to my ongoing history podcast. And I say, oh, you listen to that? And you go, no, 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 Geeks and Beats. Yeah, for you, that must be a little bit weird because like, yeah, all about me. No, oh, no, it's right, about no, right. it's that, that, that's one. like okay. when people come up to me on the street and they go, hey, I love your show. I watch it every morning. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on in the afternoon. But thanks a lot, pal. That's it, yeah. And now I'm not even on anymore. And I still get people telling me they watch me every day. Yeah. But Andrew Pop, thank you so much for being a big fan of the show. I even gave him one of our business cards so he could pass it along and maybe share the love and somebody else would join the big show as a fan, too. Well, that would be nice. Yes. Uh, we could get more sponsors like uh, like Dickies. Maybe we can get uh, who? It's shirts. I need some shirts. Well, Dickies does shirts as well. Oh, okay, they do, they do the right. whole thing. And, hey, and shoes, shoes. I need some shoes. Here's the thing about the Dickies is because these are fantastic pants for anyone who's going to find themselves say on a job site. I, I, I don't have a lot of day to day use for this kind of rugged. We're not. We're not uh, giving away your pants. Well, no, no, we're not giving away my pants. I gave away my pants. Oh. I gave them away to someone who actually has a need for pants that are so strong that they could withstand, I suspect, a puncture. Okay. These pants could save your life one day. And, of course, because they sponsored us on the big show this week, we want to say thank you very much. And they saved our life. They did, actually, because we were running a little bit low on, um, well, alcohol. <laughs> Well, I took Friday off to take my little one to see the new Star Wars Wait movie. a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're not working. Yeah, that's true. So you didn't take Friday off. Well, I took it off from the task of looking for work. Okay. Which is now my full-time job. All right, fine. Forgiven. Go ahead. Thank you. Most people, of course, were working. Those who took the day off either took it off to go see the Star Wars movie, or they took it off to respond to all the new GDPR privacy policy updates. I counted one day last week. I got 47 notifications. <laughs> In a single day? In a single day. And of those 47, I didn't recognize 36 of them. Because yeah. what's been happening is that everybody with a newsletter has been sending out this spam of the GDPR, this uh, European privacy thing. And everybody who's thinking, oh, I didn't know I subscribed to that. Well, I better opt in. So now I have a feeling I'm going to get, be getting more newsletters, more useless newsletters than I ever wanted to because I was opting in to things that I had never opted into in the first place. On Twitter, Nadim Patel had the best tweet about the GDPR deal. It was, opens box of cereal. We've updated our privacy policy. Yeah, exactly. Every time I turned around. And then uh, Eugene on Twitter as well has this photo he posted of his Samsung refrigerator requiring him to update the privacy policy as well. See, now this is where the Brexit people may have it right, because the European Union with their regulations and rules are kind of out of control from time to time. And this might be one of those situations. Uh, why? Because your refrigerator now has to ask your permission to continue? Well, yes. Why, am I, why is my refrigerator even communicating with me in this fashion? 
you know why? This Samsung fridge is quite the frig. It's got a beer chill timer built into it that will send you via Bluetooth a notification that your beer is now cold. If you're at the store and you don't know whether or not you've got something, there are three internal facing cameras on this refrigerator so you can look into your fridge to see whether or not you need to buy more milk. Oh, fantastic. You know you know who's going to love this when we finally get one? And we probably the Russians? Will. No, oh, never thought of that. <laughs> oh, somebody could be trolling my fridge. Yes. Or, or this is another opportunity to bug my, my home. How the hell did my icebox vote for Trump? Well, that that's it. I mean, not only are we putting things like, uh, you know, uh, smart speakers around the house, but we're, uh, you know, my Roomba, for example... I happen to know is going up and down my, my, my house and, and relaying information backups to the uh, the layout and the size of my home. And God knows what else is being relayed back to you know headquarters so they know way more about me than I know. So the last thing I need is my fridge spying on me. That internal facing camera, that one of the three internal facing cameras, it can send you a picture. You know what you call an internal facing camera on your refrigerator that takes a picture of what's on your shelf? <laughs> what? A shelfie. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. I think we should just end the program here. I'm done. I'm done with you. I really am. I just... (laughs) A shelfie. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.